Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of the Human Centered Leadership Podcast and today I am reaching all the way around the world, all the way to beautiful New Zealand, one of the countries that I've always wanted to visit. I don't know why it is about the New Zealand uh, country and the people, uh, there is something quite fascinating about it and it is my number one country to go and visit. The landscape and the highly emotionally intelligent people I hear very often of in New Zealand. Today I want to introduce you to one of them and he's not just one of them, he's like the quite an incredible individual that I met across on LinkedIn and then we had a wonderful conversation. Serial entrepreneur, has started over 50 companies, CEO of Just Life Group, which is a company that was founded 34 years ago and now has a turnover of over $40 million. Established in 2003, New Zealand's first business school and this, ladies and gentlemen, is just literally the tip of the iceberg. He's also a renowned author. Uh, he wrote a book, Never Hire a Person Who Walks Slowly, which I love as a title. I've not read the book. I've only just heard about it. So that's going to be a book that I'm going to be ordering. I always say, you know, you've got to keep a book uh, by your bedside table or on your Audible all the time because that's about constant growth and the infinite gain. So today I want to introduce to you Tony Falkenstein. Tony, thank you so much for spending time with us. And I think it's 8 p.m. where you are. It's 7 a.m. here. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, cool. Now it's delighted to be on. Thank you very much. Tony, you know, when I came across you and uh, I'm just literally just touched the tip of the iceberg, I was blown away by all the things that you've done. Do you want to just give a, a very brief summary of all the incredible accomplishments that you've had in your life? Well, really, uh, I suppose everybody has a great story and, uh, you know, things happen randomly and etc. etc. My training is I'm a baker pastry cook and I uh, served my apprenticeship as a baker pastry cook. And I only went to university because uh, one of my friends said, tell me about girls. And so I finished my last year um, as a baker pastry cook and went part-time to university to see what these two-legged things were. And, uh, <laughs> and so I did a, a commerce degree and, and majored in marketing and, uh, and I enjoyed that. Went straight overseas worked for a company, Madison Square Gardens Corporation um, from New York, but was actually based in London and went down, spent two years in South America uh, with ice skating shows. And then, uh, and then they bought a company in, uh, in Vienna, the Vienna Ice Review. And I came up to Austria, lived there for about a year and then took that show down to uh, South America and uh, then came back to New Zealand. I suppose it was only when I was 23, I worked for a multinational uh, Polaroid corporation and 
And it's sort of like there was a point in time, an age of 23, that I suddenly realised I'd been very, very shy. And, but I had all these, I kept on saying, hey, why don't we do this? And guys would say, yeah, gee, why didn't we think of that? This happened so often, I realised, hey, I have got a talent. Because really I was, I was not good at sport, I was not good at education, failed all my exams and everything, hadn't, couldn't, music I had no idea about. I was really just a, a, a nothing. And so, um, and so then once I, once I realised I had this talent, I then could see some, see things and opportunities to, to start businesses and all sorts. And so, so that's sort of like the start of my, uh, of my journey, I suppose, my entrepreneurial journey. And you've been at that now for what, 30, 40 years now, is it? Probably about 40 years. Um, and started all sorts of businesses and some, some I've bought. Um, I started, in fact, this one, I, uh, I, I started a business um, which was my biggest failure at the time. It's, I mean, I failed, I've lost a lot more money, but at the time it was all I had. And I, um, I started this business, uh, which was when Swatch Watch got launched. And I thought I had a competing brand, um, which was called Z-Watch, which, which were uh, what they call Hong Kong ripoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, so I launched this brand on the same day as Swatch launched their brand in New Zealand. And, uh, and we sold four times as many watches between September and Christmas. We both had very similar type TV commercials, but we were $20 cheaper than them. And, uh, but the problem was the strap got brittle. And, and so by the time kids put them on on Christmas Day, the strap broke and they all came back. So my biggest, biggest disaster. So, so I put my head down and got a job. And this was for part of a, of a big uh, public company. And they had a trading division, which, which uh, I was running one of, their, one of their trading divisions. And I'd actually, it was, a bus- it was a very old business, very low margin, no brands. And I sold all the businesses off and went to them and said, hey, listen, I'm redundant now. Um, had a cash in the bank. And uh, um, but I've got a couple of ideas, <clears throat> and one of them was renting fax machines. And because the fax market at that stage, if, ever, if anybody knows what a fax machine is now, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, bet I remember them well. But it was really booming, and nobody was renting because a, a salesperson had to go in and um, and go there twice, once to do the sale and then get credit approval. So I really followed what Rank Xerox did originally with photocopiers. The rep would just go in, uh, put the fax machine in, and and if it fell over, if the company fell over, we just took it out, and put it somewhere else. So it didn't have to be a new new fax machine every time. And so that really that uh, started to boom. And then the company, the company, um, the managing director came to me and said, "Hey, listen, we're going. This is two months after I'd started this business. Came to me and said we're going to go um, into receivership. Do you want to buy the business?" A dollar, so so that's the business I bought, and then a year later we uh, went into renting water coolers. So it's a new industry coming up that I could see. Um, rented water coolers, and so now we've got a business that's um, that's on the stock exchange. I still own seventy percent, and and it's got a market cap of about eighty-five million at the moment. That's incredible, and this is a company that you bought for one dollar. Yeah. But we, you know, we, we made a lot of mistakes along the way, but it, in the end, and it was all about people. So 
So when I had been working for someone else, always I remember this occasion, and in fact it's quite vivid in my mind, is it was uh, four o'clock one afternoon and we had to get all this mail out. And it was the old, you know, a person had to fold this mail, I think it was invoices, and put them in the envelopes and get them out. And so I went down and gave it a hand and I said to the girl on reception, hey, can you do this? Can, can you help with all this? And she said, oh, no, 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 that's not my job. And I thought, man, if I ever run a company, I'll tell you what, you won't last in my company because you're going to, we're all in. Here's, a, here's an opportunity, we're all in, and get this job done, out, and uh, it's going to be good for the company. So I just sort of remember that because it was something that, um, you know, no one is, no one's that big. I mean, there was, I was, I think, I was the, can't remember, the marketing manager, and, and I was doing it. And, uh, and I'm still today, you know, I'll go out uh, on the water trucks. I go out once a month and help, uh, help on the water trucks because I learn so much from, uh, from doing those sort of things. I've made some really big decisions by just hanging around in the, in the uh, say, customer service area. So what is it, Tony, that, uh, that, that inspired you to become so people-focused, human-focused as a leader, uh, driving these incredible companies forward? When you go right back to it, if you if you're going to do a psychoanalysis, I think you'd say I was so shy as a as a youngster that I I had two ears and I really listened. Mm-hmm. I knew everything, um, and so you know if a teacher said, "Hey, what's the answer to this?" I'd never put my hand up. Um, I was yeah, I know what the answer is, and and it was always um, you know I do a lot of listening. Yeah. So to me, it was it was listening to what people are saying, and I've got to and become. You become a very, very good um, person at, at listening to people and, and feeling feeling how they are. I can go around the office. It's interesting because I, I arrive at work in the morning and I go around and say good morning to people, go right around and go around the production plant, say good morning. And I can pick if people are, uh, you know, say, hey, what's the matter? Yeah, I get it. How are things going? And, uh, and have a longer conversation if I feel, hey, something's, something's wrong there. And, you know, and I've said to other people, other managers, for example, I said, listen, you have to get round and say good morning to them. You can't just hop in the office and, and do your thing. And, but then they've gone round and said, okay, I did that, Tony. I went round, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. But there's no feel to it. You have to have a feel that, uh, hey, you are listening to them. You're listening and looking for signs of, uh, of something that's uh, that maybe concerning them. Or they've got ideas. Often they've got good ideas. And, and so being with them is, uh, you know, so beneficial. And one of my favourite sayings to my staff when I was a senior police officer was, "Look, I might be the I might be the leader here, but that doesn't mean I have the monopoly on good ideas." Uh, and like you, I used to take an hour out of my day in the morning and another hour in the afternoon just to walk around and talk to my staff and get to know them. And I, and I suspect that reason why it didn't work for other managers was because they hadn't built that that connection with the staff. Um, that human connection, as I call it, the, the ability to speak to them in, in their language and get down to their level and build trust. You know, people say, how come you're always available? You've got time for a meeting. You've got, how come you've got so much time? And, and the reason is I, I sort of avoid, um, you know, and a lot of my managers, they want to have a meeting with everybody, you know, half an hour with this person, that person, that person. And I'd much rather have a casual, casual meeting. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of managers, they're much more likely to say, hey, let's go and have a cup of coffee. 
And rather than accepting the appointment, I'll, uh, I might say, hey, let's go and have a coffee or just talk or, you know, find out, hey, what's, what is happening today? What's happening in, in sales and getting some feedback. And, and what are some of the benefits that you've, you've seen as a result of your leadership style? We say um, to people, you know, when they come in, we say, hey, listen, some people won't fit into this organisation. We try and get the right people. And if you've worked, for example, a lot of people who come from government departments wouldn't like it because they want to be, you do it this way, this way, this way, this way, and, and that's what you do. And that's not how we, how we work here. So we say you have a job, but hey, if you can do it better or you can find a way to do over and above what you're doing in a different, different way or come up with new ways of doing things, hey, that's the way you're going to get more money and etc. So, uh, so you want people involved. I mean, we, you know, I have a, um, a, a saying, you know, energy zappers, that we just don't like energy zappers. Yeah, you talk about these energy zappers. I think I call them mood hoovers. You know, they just suck, uh, suck the life out of you and suck the, uh, the the goodness out of you. And and you find these in organisations. And, and and like you, I used to challenge them, uh, but I also used to look beneath the surface and say, well, what might be causing this? You know, particularly if they used to be good performers before, what is it that's caused them to suddenly start behaving like this? You're talking about being in tune with people. So John, for example, if John was a really good worker for several years and suddenly he's become this energy zapper, uh, you'd be clearly looking for something that's gone on in his life and trying to explore that and, and help him if that's possible. I mean, you know, as an employee philosophy, we say, hey, we take, we take on good people, we want to make them better people. And if they, if they leave, if we can't provide them with the next opportunity and they leave to go to another role, we'll be very proud that they've been on our um, uh, on the journey with us. And that really comes back to us um, all the time. One of the things that we're experiencing right now across the whole world, uh, Tony, is uh, a lot of high levels of anxiety, mental, um, mental uh, stress for people because of the whole pandemic. What are you doing? You know, if you were to give tips to other leaders, what are you doing with your staff to keep them as high as you possibly can in terms of their mental well-being? It certainly is a, a challenge. Um, we've brought them back into the office as much as we can. We've found that they, they like being there. And, and it is really tough that if they're at home and they, if they've got kids, that, I mean, they've been uh, home teaching. Um, so often it's very, very tough and they actually prefer to be at work. That's been the, like their social connection. That's that's their other family as a, as a work family. Uh, so now we're operating. Hey, in fact, we're demanding. We're saying, hey, you cannot work at home five days a week. So you can do two and three, two off, three off, but we want you in the office a couple of days just so you get that uh, get that social. Yeah. So you're going for this hybrid model where they still have the flexibility of working from home, but also have that social connection, and the business will benefit from it as well i'm guessing but they have that social connection by coming into work and you can start building that culture up again uh, that you had prior to the pandemic it must have been really really tough for you to maintain that employee well-being throughout the whole pandemic when everybody is forced to work from home what did you do to try and keep connected with your staff during that period so we had each of our managers spoke to them virtually every day um on you know but it, i mean it was all zoom calls uh, we have a, a a message from the three three senior 
senior people in our, in our team, um, we put out a message to the whole team and did that on a regular basis. In terms of three, again, the three senior ones, three of us would meet every day at four o'clock on Zoom. Hey, what are we going to do? And it was, yeah, how we, <laughs> and it was all about the people. How are we going to keep the people going? How are we going to motivate them? How are we going to keep them going? You know, and uh, how could we make it? How can we make it better for them? And they've also, and I suppose it's the same around the world. I mean, people are moving into other jobs. So you have to be extra um, careful, careful with them. In fact, we sat down about a month, maybe a month ago and said, or just before Christmas, and said, who are the people that we just cannot afford, we just do not want to lose? Um, and they might have been at a much lower level, but they were the right sort of people. So I say the, um, you know, and I'll say this in my book, that one, um, one top person is worth two good people. So even two good people, but a one top person will just make such a big difference. And, and so who were these top people? Um, and they might have been in credit control or anything, but they were just the right sort of people. You're right. I think, you know, managing talent and retaining talent has been a real big issue for a lot of organisations in a lot of industries. And of course, you know, I think you're making reference to the great resignation where people are, if they're not happy in their workplace, they're voting with their feet and they're going to find jobs elsewhere. Because I think it's almost like, it's almost like people have, because of the pandemic, recalibrated their priorities. They're thinking, what, you know, life can end just like that. So what is important to me? I spend a third of my life at work. What's important for me? Well, what's important for me is to have a good boss, to have a nice culture, uh, to have a work family, as you describe it. You know, somewhere where I feel safe and happy going into, to feel appreciated. Uh, and if they're not having all of those things in one company, then they'll go and find it in some other company. And I think that's what's going on with the Great Resignation. And good on you for, you know, before it even happened to, to, to sort of recognising that in terms of what is the talent that we absolutely need to maintain and re retain and what are we going to do to keep them. We're talking about what's happened over the last couple of years and for a lot of leaders it's been massive stress, stress as well as the employees. And, uh, you know, you're running this organization with so many staff, you know, lots of stuff going on inside your head, I'm sure. Uh, and you have to be agile as a, you know, some of the fantastic words that have come up that have become common language now is agility and adaptability. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so to coin the phrase, you've had to be agile and adaptable more than you probably did before this. One of the stresses or one of the risks is the mental health of the leader. So I think you have to be very self-aware to be a good leader, but you also have to look after yourself. So what have you done to look after yourself and make, make sure that you're right up there in terms of your mental health? I'm very, very fit. I play a lot of tennis. I do Pilates. So I'm very conscious there. I eat, you know, I'm pretty conscious on, on how I eat, not overweight or anything. Um, yeah, and I probably do some exercise every day. Um, and that's important. I have what I call uh, the, the golden hour, first thing in the morning, feed the dog and the cat, and then I've got this one hour, nobody's up in the house, and, and that's my, my great time. Um, I think sleep is really important, and, and I've developed a, uh, I know whether you say a system, but where I block out things, I block out my day, uh, and in fact, my, my wife will say the uh, uh, Tony can have the biggest crisis in his life, 
he tells me about it. She's up all night worrying about it while he goes straight to sleep. <laughs> kind of wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I think I've got the answer to this. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I think you're right. You know, having routines is so important. Like I, I tend to switch off no matter how busy my day has been. I tend to switch off around about half past six where we eat dinner as a family. And then I like to spend time with my wife, either talking or watching some movies, spending time with our cats. I make sure now that I get my eight hours sleep in. But when I was a police officer, I'd probably sleep sleep far less than that and be woken up in the middle of the night if I was uh, you know, on call. Uh, I think it's so, so important. And I tell you what, you had me at Pilates. I try. I went to a Pilates class once and I couldn't walk for a couple of days after that. It is painful. <laughs> so good on you with the Pilates there. Well, Pilates is yoga for beginners. I find yoga. If I ever did yoga, I'd be uh, no way. <laughs> Listen, Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to read your book. Never hire a person who walks slowly. I'm going to go away and, uh, and, and get that book straight away. It's been an absolute pleasure, Tony. Let's keep in touch. And thank you so much for being here. No, that's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.